Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for February 27th of 2017. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh for HockeyHurts.com. This edition of the podcast, we will go over the Stadium Series game uh, that happened between the Penguins and Flyers. I have some choice comments about the coverage uh, provided by NBC. And it's a trade deadline, so we're going to do a shitload of uh, trade stuff. Start with the Hansel trade, Bishop, uh, goalie market, and uh, all sorts of other uh, things that we come up with because it's an exciting time of the year. It's fun to be a writer this time of year. So, Outdoor game, did you watch it? Uh, I got seasick watching it. Okay, good. So we're on the same page. It's like the thousandth outdoor game that the league has put on. Some people are a little bit sour on the the concept of outdoor games because of the amount of them. I'm not one of those. However, I would expect the league's main TV partner to know how to broadcast these games by now. And NBC did a horrible job. Their camera angle sucked. It made it difficult to watch. And... By the end of the, you know, I was with um, a couple friends that weren't necessarily Penguins or Flyers fans. W- one was a former teammate of mine that, that is a hockey player, loves hockey. And the other one was indifferent, more of a basketball guy. And throughout the course of the action, he kept asking us what's going on. And we're like, we don't fucking know. <laughs> because we can't follow the puck and we've played the sport our whole life. And that's a problem because you had a casual viewer that was with us. Not knowing what the hell was going on, he was intrigued enough to come over with the intent of watching the game. It's really funny, you know. I, from when I've watched the games live, um, I think the best spot to watch a game of hockey is um, first tier, goal to goal. So I don't like the, you know, left to right of watching it on on TV. I, I don't think you get to watch play develop as well and you don't get a good idea of spacing out there so when you've got a spider cam above the the rink um and you've got the opportunity to basically go end to end because you're not going to be in the way of the fans because of where the hell they all are i don't know why you wouldn't just do that give them a completely different perspective like that spider cam thing um they use for cricket like in world cricket and it kind of works and it, it kind of doesn't. And they tried to overuse it in, in his coverage and it was really frustrating because there were some great camera angles and then once you find that angle, keep it. Don't keep using that spider cam to to draw away from the rink and then try to flip the direction when you're going around. There's a reason why hockey games on a computer run north-south. Yeah, but that I don't mind the left to right for normal T. I don't mind the default camera angle it's 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 good enough nbc started fucking with that and going with what should be a supplementary angle and a lot of people that i was bitching about it on twitter but a lot of people were saying they, they were actually getting nauseous from it i wasn't getting nauseous yeah i, don't know, I was I don't know heavily annoyed it. by it but <laughs> it wasn't making you throw up like Cover the Penguins. I know their power play breakout. I know their X's and O's. I'm as piped in as 
you could be as a quote-unquote fan. I couldn't follow the damn play, and I know what they're doing. How is that good yeah. for growing the sport? It's it's not. My wife watched it a little bit, and, and she was sort of trying to say, why are they going the other way all of a sudden? You know what I mean? Like, it was... It was one of those things where it was it, it was frustrating to watch, basically. I mean, that was the most pristine-looking game I think I've seen Pittsburgh play in one of these. Um, but it was so hard to watch. And it was like, you know, we've had snow in others. We've had Crosby get knocked out in others. You, you watch this, and, and it was diff- you're right. It was difficult to watch, just flat-out difficult to watch. Honest to God, I think if somebody was in the 200 levels periscoping the event live, I would have been able to follow it better than their stupid fucking NBC camera angles. What was good about the game is that Sid scored, Sid didn't get knocked out, and uh, they won. Yeah, whatever. I'm still pissed about the camera stuff. You really are. Because <laughs> it's a cool event. It is. You're not wrong. Even though there's been a lot of them, it's Saturday night, prime time. What else are you going to watch? That should have been something that NBC should have been able to take advantage of. Instead, I can't imagine how many people tuned in, had the same complaints I had, and said, you know what, I'll just find something else. Yeah, they walked off. I get what you mean. I can understand what you're saying. So, furthermore, so now the visual stuff's a problem. Which, mind you, I don't mind those cameras existing. Those are great vantage points for replay but they made it the primary angle and it was stupid so the visuals were fucked up which you know obviously when one sense is down your others perk up and boy oh boy then you start to notice pierre mcguire's on the broadcast and pierre is still floored that these games are outdoors and there may be wind he's such a fucking idiot it was, it was, it was rather annoying. I really hope that whatever happens with the broadcast deal when it runs out, that it goes to somebody else and doesn't involve him. It will. Cause he grates. He just grates. Yeah. You know? Wind. He always fixates on something stupid and beats it into the ground. And then when he has his little interviews with the coaches or players, he beats down that point, and you know what happens like clockwork? They dismiss it. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. Do, it's so important. Mike Sella, like the whole first period, the wind is at the Flyers' back. It's helping them, yeah, pushing them forward. Oh, Crosby scored. Yep. <laughs> okay. So the Flyers got no goals, yet the wind was so helpful for them. And then Mike Sullivan, the wind's out there. It's crazy. Is it impacting your team? Uh, not really. All right, I didn't get the answer I wanted from Mike Sullivan. Sidney Crosby after the period, the wind, the wind, the wind. Uh, no, man, not much. And you could tell his body language is like, is this fucking guy asking me this question for real? I, it, it's funny. You know, I wonder how much of it is actually driven. I wonder how much of it's driven by his producers or whether it is just him being a complete idiot. I don't care what the, the genesis of it is. It needs to stop. And quite frankly, I wouldn't blame the wind if they if they filed a restraining order on Pierre. <laughs> what a jackass. I mean, honest to God, what a fucking jackass. What and did then, you think and of then, the, and then the next day, 
Dallas and Boston were the 12.30 p.m. NBC game of the week, and you had Dave Strader and Daryl Rupp doing the call with, I think Andy Brickley was part of that as well. That will be the best NBC um, collection of talent on the broadcast they'll have all year. And sadly, it'll be the only time Ooh. they use it. I don't know. Gord Miller gets on there occasionally. I don't mind if you Gord. Yep, I'm I'm okay there too. But Dave Strader is a number one caliber. He could be the network lead for play by play. Yes. Now, obviously, there's oh, yeah. no, no, I... unfortunately some cancer issues going on with Dave, which is why he's not really working all that much this year. But from a talent perspective, I think he's the best that NBC has in their staple or stable. And Daryl Ruff is a great. Yeah, no, um, I... the Dallas broadcast—they've been spoiled for years. I know Daryl is um he's very good. I always used to like it when he's fine too. You always got a corpulent rebound from uh, Daryl Ray, and it was always good. Oh, it's Ray, not Ruff. Oh, I was thinking of Lindy. <laughs> no, but I don't have much well, to about, about that. Long. But I just think that we're almost a decade into these outdoor games. Stop reinventing the wheel. Let people watch it and supplement the other angles. This shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, but anything with the NHL that you, you say shouldn't be that difficult, they always do make it harder than it has to be. It's just the nature of the way the sports run. It's frustrating as hell as a fan. Yep, pretty much. So, just, ah, you know. just like the Gensel hit in the game... That wasn't even called as a penalty yet. That's going to get supplemental discipline. That should have at least been a two-minute minor. And I just I don't understand how I guess, that gets I guess you could make the argument for uh, an interference major because he didn't have the puck. And he never he touched blasted. the puck. And, and that, that's probably the thing for me. Like, it's just basic two-minute interference. And they didn't call it. And then after that hit, the game got chippy the rest of the way. There was garbage after the whistles. It was hack and whack, and it was, all right, well, if they're going to let that go, they're going to have to let all this other stuff go. It just it, it annoyed the hell out of me in regards to what we saw on the ice. I mean, what was great was that Gensel got two assists, managed to not get concussion, at least as far as we know at the moment, and, you know, the, the Penguins won and, and got out of it reasonably unscathed. I mean... This team's still managing to win games whilst shorthanded with their roster. So I can't complain as a fan. So I guess those are our thoughts on the outdoor game. Let's get to the meat of this. Trade deadline. So it is the season to overpay for depth players. What the hell? And Minnesota's kicked us off with that. Martin Hansel went for quite a bit. I oh, don't forget Ryan White. Yes, he went as well, but still. We're talking no, I, about depth players. Yeah. Not that Hansel yeah. won't help Minnesota, but I don't think he's quite as great as some sections of people think, and he's certainly not. Um, I don't think he's a liability either. But that's such a, it's a high price to pay for rental but that's how it goes so the, the question is does martin hensel make this year's version of the minnesota wild better at center and the answer to that is yes yes 
the question you have to ask the general manager is how much of your ability to be good for a long period of time are you giving away by paying what you did for Martin Handel? And, and that's the, the sort of unknown question, isn't it? So it's a first rounder this year, a second rounder next year, and it could be a second rounder the year after that. What is the condition on that 2019? Well, the Bob Fowler has it for us. Minnesota wins one playoff round, it becomes a third. If they win two rounds, it becomes a second. What happens if they win the cup? Does it become another first? No. Why was the Coyotes? I'd have asked. It doesn't say that, so I'm assuming no. No, I'm assuming that's where it'll be. You know, you if you're going to trust anyone, trust the Bob Father. Yep. So, you know, that's why I usually stress when July 1 comes around, you need to do your heavy lifting during that time period to sign the depth cheap so you're not expending high draft picks. Now, did they pay too much? Yes. But Minnesota has a few things going for them and why you could justify the trade. One, they're in a win now. The Parise Suter contracts aren't going to start looking any better anytime soon. And they have quite a number of good prospects already that are not quite at the NHL but will be very soon. So that for them, the draft picks aren't as integral to their future as maybe some other organizations. So they had a little bit of capital to play with there. And they used it. Well, so. if you look at it that way, they're at least trading from a position of strength. You know, They've got prospects in the system almost ready to go. It's not too much of a killer then. No, but at the same time, it's still a lot. You don't have to just throw them away willy-nilly. If you can get something for less than... That, that is three draft picks they've given up and a roster player. I, mean, I, know they get a fourth I, mean, round, I know they get a fourth round back, but still. A first, a second, and a potential... Well, they want it to be a second. Uh, you know, you don't want to make that trade and get dumped out of the playoffs early. So, what does that do for, for other trades? Well, it kind of sets the bar for, for centers. Centers go for more than wingers this time of year. That's just how it goes. So if you're a team that's in a sell mode, right, and you're expecting to get the same sort of return for your center as, as Martin Handel, and nobody comes knocking with an offer that high, do you still give him up or do you hold on to him and have him just walk? You, you'd still for, have to give him which up. Kind of the one player? thing I don't like about the Sorry? Do you have a player in mind or was that just in general? I was, I was literally trying to think of one. At the moment, and I, just, I can't reel one off the top of my head off the teams that are like a similarly positioned player. And I get there and go, if nobody wants to pay it, what, you know, Hansel sets as a prize, you don't just hang on. you still got to get rid of the player, though. For, for a team that's in a sell mode, yeah, like a Kulikov yeah. and a Franzen, Buffalo should be moving moving on from them. And getting whatever well, they can because what's the point? 
Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Now you might not get a lot, but let's be honest: the more lottery tickets you have, the better chance you have to to land something. I mean, I would say there's more value in Patrick Eves than there is in Martin Hansel. Yeah, that was a potential first round pick too. And they only got a conditional second. No, but that could so, be a first, though. I suppose so. Just you know, you just sit there and look at it, and I don't. It's one of those things that the Eves is a really good bottom six player, but again, you don't do your depth shopping in the summer. You're going to pay a price at this time of year. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. That's why I don't like the term "they're all in" or "somebody sets." This, this trade has set the market. It, it's never the case. It's just the fact that somebody has paid what you and I think is a bit of an overpayment for that player doesn't mean that somebody else has to be that stupid to, to do something like that. Um, yeah, the longer you wait to... with a team like Arizona that knows they got to get rid of them, you know, at some point. But you are playing chicken with other teams. You are. But that's the nature of the business. So. Exactly. But, yeah, like you and I both agree, I think that was a bit of an overpayment for, for Hansel. It would be funny if, if Ryan White um, contributes and, and turns it into the Ryan White trade, but, um, you know, stranger things have happened. Yes, and one of those was L.A. trading for Ben Bishop. Good oh, luck figuring great. this one out. Well, that's just insurance policy. That's just going, we need a guy that we know – can play at a high level. We don't trust Peter Budai. Even though he plays just he's, as fine as Quick does. <laughs> look, the Quick argument is one that you and I have, have agreed on for quite some time, but there's obviously no trust in Quick's body actually surviving. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no need to make that trade, because like you said, Peter Budai was doing his job quite competently. It doesn't address why they're not where they need to be at all. No, and the coach gets there and goes, we need to score. And it's like, well, you don't have the skilled enough players to score. You've got Jeff Carter, who is ridiculously awesome this year, and you've got a few other guys that should be, but they're a little bit below their career averages on their shooting percentages. Adding Ben Bishop doesn't help the puck go in the net. Yeah, goaltending and shot suppression is not, not an issue for that team, and you know, the, as, the further we get away from those Kings Cups, you, the more you think the guy, uh, their GM, fell ass backwards into him because his work with the Kings and, and Team USA has been, you know, not great in my opinion. Stodgy at best. It's not been great. It's, it's yeah. It's his philosophy on what hockey is that I think is the problem. And he's saying, oh, we need Bishop because the days of quick playing 70 games are over. And it's like, the last two years he's played 68 and 72 games. What does that average out to? 70? Yeah. Bishop is not a long-term thing. Well, it shouldn't be. (laughs) Maybe they do that. Tie up 13 million in goaltending. Another team that does something ridiculously stupid in I there. Think, I think the Kings are as good a candidate as any to, to, to spend over $11 million on goaltending. Can I ask you a really stupid question? Quick is actually older than Bishop. They wouldn't be ballsy enough to try and let Quick get picked up in the expansion draft, would they? 
Uh, well, the problem with that, and I don't know offhand, because I don't think he's got any. There's there's no restrictions on his contract. Oh, there is not. No, and this is the reason I'm asking. Oh, I would definitely leave him unprotected. That contract's not going to age well. No, this is why I'm asking. You could get there and sign Bishop to a you know, 6.5 year deal if you wanted to be silly, as long as you get rid of Jonathan Quick. That would be the way I would look at it. That's you're, all. Like, you're right. I, can't you're right. I don't see anything on the cap-friendly. Yeah, he's 31. He's got another six years. Look, yeah, I, I would I, w- I would definitely do that, but are they going to do that? Oh, God, no. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I find really bizarre with general managers is that you make a mistake, and every general manager is going to make mistakes, but refusing to accept that you've made them and move on from them is what kills rosters. Um, you look at Pittsburgh with, with Fleury. You, you look at Jonathan Quick. In LA, like that contract is a mistake. You've got a get out of jail free card again for maybe, LA. Maybe, uh, maybe. With the Vegas with would the, have to take him, and if I'm Vegas, I'm not taking him. No, I know, but you've got. I, I, I don't trust their general manager either. So, I'm just saying you could leave him unprotected, and because he's got no clauses on that contract at all, right? So you could leave him unprotected, and if Put he goes, this way. he right, doesn't have he the clause. Well, the big clause, the no movement one. In fact, LA's Ooh. okay on that front. Only uh, Kopitar has one, and quite frankly, if you're going to have one guy on that team that has one, I suppose that would be the one. Oh, Dustin Brown has a modified no trade clause. <laughs> Sorry, but he doesn't have a no movement. No, so he could go, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> could. That's, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So Bishop to L.A. kind of impacts the goalie market. And, you know, we talk a lot about Marc-Andre Fleury and how Pittsburgh needs to probably get on that and make that move. Well, Bishop going to L.A. helps them in the sense that it didn't go to one of the more probable teams that they could deal Fleury. Yeah, it doesn't knock out one of those things. You go, okay, that's a likely scenario. So it does help them, definitely. Like if Calgary or Dallas or Winnipeg or Carolina dealt for Bishop, that's one less team. Or the, or St. Louis. I was thinking of St. Louis, and I go, I sit there in this wonderful little dream world where it's Fleury for Shattenkirk straight up, right? Yeah, I know that's a, not quite a dream. It. I didn't say it was realistic, but you sit there and it's like they're the sorts of trades where you can you know, destroy a team or, you know, make a team go really, really well. Like, you put up a few of Mike Colligan's um, trade ideas. Um, it, was, it wasn't your last one. It might have been the one before, article-wise. And it's like, you know, they're pretty reasonable. The Oduya one petrifies me in regards to trading Fleury away in that situation uh, because I know that, Pittsburgh need a better back six, but I don't think Oduya helps in that in that category. No, he's going to... People that find value in Oduya are going to do it because he played on Chicago and they won Stanley Cups. They will not be looking at recent performance because he's a bottom-pairing 
defenseman by both possession and offensive generation at this stage of the game. But that's part of the problem with the flurry trade is that I don't want to say he has negative value, but I don't think he has overwhelmingly positive value either. So Pittsburgh's probably going to have to eat something they don't want to eat back on a deal like that. And maybe Rutherford thinks that Oduya can help them because he's a body and he has experience, but that's not my standard for helping what should be a, a cup-caliber team. It's, it is it is one of those things where, you know, Sam Ventura got a lot of credit, and rightfully so, last year in regards to decisions that were made from, you know, the free agent signings all the way through to a couple of the trades that were done during a year. How how worried are you that he's being listened to slash being ignored after the Ron Hainsey trade? Hmm. I mean, the Hainsey trade, he at least, um, his, his underlying numbers are okay, and he has positive ones on the penalty kill, and while I don't think trading solely for penalty killing expertise quote-unquote is is a thing that i like doing at least he is good on that front like there's objective numbers that say his shot suppression is pretty good in that area yeah and i don't think he's a liability even strength as long as you keep him in a proper role yeah the second round pick's a high price to pay for that but unfortunately for pittsburgh and the win now well, the GM thinks they're a win now, so they're in a win now, and they had a lot of injuries, so perhaps panic sets in. But he traded for a guy he signed to his current contract. He has familiarity, and they did it. So, You know what I think bothers me the most? Is that they actually have somebody in the minors who, <laughs> well, you know, you should have been given a I, I reckon if we go back like 10 podcasts, like to the start of the year, my biggest complaint was they just have to let Pouliot play through his mistakes because inevitably he's going to get called up at some point due to injury in the playoffs and he's going to look terrible because he hasn't played at that pace all year. I don't think they will. They've called oh, up everybody they, but him. That's true. They have. They have. So, so instead of calling him up and letting him play in the regular season, they'll probably spend more assets for another depth defenseman. Which is just bad asset management, with frustrate, which frustrates well, me. Well, Liot as an asset has been totally yes. handled poorly. So do they find a solution for the flurry issue? Like, good on Fleury for actually putting his foot down and going, now come on, dude, do your job. Okay, but, and what you're referencing is something that's kind of... Rutherford is very good at shaping the way he says things. He's been at the job a while, so... Well, you'd hope he'd have got something right. Daniel Sprong, after Johnston is fired, he's got to handle some tough questions on why he was up half the year starting his ELC. He shifts it, oh, well... Johnston wanted him up and like he shift he's very good at shifting the conversation. This whole entire flurry thing 
on the surface, it seems like, yeah, Rutherford is saying, oh, well, we'll let Mark decide. Uh, he's got to come to me. Uh, we don't want to, whatever Mark wants to do. And it's like, well, not for nothing, you're trading him. So it's not what Mark wants to do. You're going to trade him eventually. So why make him ask for the trade? Because he doesn't want the trade. He, because, you know what I mean? He's trading a popular player yep. in both the room and, and a big section of the fan base. Well, if Mark asks for the trade, well, then Rutherford's off the hook. But he's going to trade him no matter what. So why are you making the guy beg for a trade that he – fucking – I don't know. That's just my personal take on it. And and Fleury finally came out and said, you know, I'm going to meet with the GM and uh, whatever the team wants. And he kind of threw the ball back in Rutherford's court and good for him. Make the GM make the GM decision. It's not on Fleury. I mean, he's done it. Come to Flurry when he got a deal in place. He'll either uh, if if the no trade stuff comes into play, he's either going to say yes or no. My guess is that very few situations he'll say no to right now because, quite frankly, he wants to play. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those things where you can tell that he's not happy not playing. He's done a pretty good job of making sure that he's not a distraction. And yes, he's, he's not, done great there. No, no, not no being a dick about it, or, yeah, or, or any of that sort of stuff. So you sit there with it and just go, he's done the right thing here. Rutherford should do the right thing by him and lob out a few freaking options and have Fleury go, yes, no, no, yes, take one of those too. Like, you're right. He's dumped all of the responsibility of this onto Fleury when, in reality, it was his own fault for re-signing that contract as quickly he as he into did. That and it's like he did, but not a good reason. There's no need to to lock up goalies near their thirty and on long term for average. Like Lundqvist, even that contract's going to look bad really soon. And that's the the elite of the elite of this generation as well. Like that's the thing. Yeah, he's a top five goalie of all time. <laughs> Maybe he goes hashik on it. I hope he does because I like him. But he rushed into the it extension, nice. and now he's got to wiggle his way out of it. You just have to understand, to as an NHL himself... general manager, there is always going to be an opportunity somewhere to get league average cheaper than six million per year. Sometimes you got to get creative for it, but the opportunity exists. If you don't fall in love with brand names, like Flurry is a brand name. Oh, yes, he is. So if you don't fall in love with that, you can always seek it out. Hell, they're back up when um, that extension was signed. Thomas Grice is doing just fine. Matt Murray coming out of the AHL. Nobody thought he'd be this good, but could you project that he'd be league average? Yeah, probably. Can Tristan Jari be league average? Probably. And if you have that on the cheap, then you have more roster options. So there was literally no need to rush into. And that's not a hindsight thing either. Flurry had a decade track record to that point. He was who he was. You didn't need to marry it. No, you, you weren't suddenly going to get and a massive sure spike shit didn't in the need a no-movement clause. How did Flurry have me, leverage? That, that, for me, is probably the thing that annoyed me the most, was... I was happy giving him that volume of money for that length if there was no 
restrictions on that contract. It's not like Fleury was suddenly going to up and walk away from the club. Like, that's the bit that I didn't understand. Like They could have really nutted this out and dragged it out a hell of a lot longer than they did. And it, it just, it's just a mis- like it's one of those things that I find really frustrating about Rutherford is that people talk him up because he made a couple of good moves, but he's made some boneheaded ones that have really handcuffed this franchise. You look at what happened the year Handcuffs that... Handcuffs probably strong because... Um, all right. I didn't mean to go on a Rutherford rant here, but here's the deal with Jim Rutherford. His first year with the team was not very good. He made, he he got away from speed and skill and went, um, went the grid approach, bringing in Lapierre and and um, some of the other stuff that he did. Well, he left the team with five defensemen because he couldn't manage the cap. Despite being told Spalling acquisition was not very good. Like Hornquist for Neil straight up would have been a better trade than Spalling yep. being involved. So, second year was good. Phil Kessel trades great. Uh, day, getting Daly for Scuderi, great. Perron for Haglin, great. Uh, Benino for fucking Sutter trade, obviously great. Um, <laughs> all good things. So there's no... Um, I have no problem giving the kudos for those. Those are all good good moves but here's the thing if you're an nhl gm what position player is the most difficult to acquire well it's either your goalie or your first line center i don't think it's goalie it's definitely your first line center and if it's not the first line center it's the top pairing defenseman which he has both of those. Not only does he have both of those, he has Evgeny Malkin, who is a top five center in the league. So he has two top five centers in the league. Chris Letang, who's one of the best defensemen in the league. It's a big cheat code as a GM when you're not chasing that stuff. It makes all the other stuff that much easier, in my opinion. Most of these GMs that make these deals that get them in trouble, they're chasing. Because they don't have that core. He doesn't have to chase. Quite frankly, so I, 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 I like Jim Rutherford, uh, or not not just Jim Rutherford, any GM that has the Penguins during the Crosby-Malkin era. It's like playing Oregon Trail as the banker. Are you familiar with that game? No, I'm not. I'm okay. completely Some lost Some of our listeners these. might be. You basically, it's an old computer game from back in the day on a floppy disk. You travel from east side of the United States and you try to get to Oregon. There are different things you can start with. The banker, you get to start with the most money. You can buy all the supplies you want. It's basically like not very hard to do. Now, do you always get to the end? No. Is it a lot easier? Yeah. So I think it's like being the banker in Oregon Trail. You start with such a head start that you're, you're in a good spot. So I mean, it's a pretty big indictment on Rutherford and Go, go, go. Oh, you cut out. Go ahead. You're all, you can go, keep going. No, I was just basically saying that he's done good, but any Penguins GM is in a position to do good because they have all the, the hard-to-get pieces, and you don't have to worry about it. And they're all signed long-term to decent deals. It is... 
it's it's a bit of an indictment on Chero and Rutherford in the fact that it was like they were chasing the whole time and they had, you know, three key pieces down pat. And other good pieces, but you have those three as your core, you can really do a lot of things. So, credit to Rutherford. After year one, he he didn't keep going with that grid approach, went with speed and skill and made some nice deals. And now this next section of his tenure, he's going to have to navigate the improving his defense core, uh, getting rid of Marc-Andre Fleury, and he's going to have to navigate this expansion draft. So a lot of big things coming up for him. The The... Moving of Marc-Andre Fleury will help them improve their defense. And the thing that I find interesting with that is that I thought that at some point through this year they'd be able to do that. Like, there's only, what is it, three days left until the deadline. Um, I can't see them being able to move Fleury and improve their defense in one deal or in two deals. Because if you move Fleury, theoretically you, you move a hell of a lot of cap space, but... They're either going to have to retain What's coming back, though? I mean... Yeah, well, that was the point I was about to get to. Or they're going to have to have another goalie come back. It's like, if you look at Dallas... Niamh is coming back in a Dallas trade. Yeah. And and so you don't have... You know, you only save, what is it, 1.7 mil on that, and you go, right, so what can I use that for to try and strengthen up a... Well, you trade Eric for a draft pick. There's more space. Boom. Done. then you try and utilize that two and a bit, three mil that you've got there to try and get yourself a, a, a you know, a, a top four defenseman. Even if it is just a number four, that's but, what you're looking but for. But cap space, you, that's you, great. You have that. But now you got to throw legitimate assets at a position that everybody's looking for. Exactly. And, and you really are start, starting to try and, you know, walk up a very steep hill. And it's not easy. No, he's got a tough job right now. This part of it is tougher than because um, of the injuries. But you got to have that long-term scope in mind because you still have Crosby, Malkin, Latang playing great hockey. You can't just go all in on this deadline and start trading futures left and right. For whatever reason, the best teams in hockey have less of a chance of winning than in other sports. So at some point, you're just continuing to add to an already good roster. Is there really much gain? I'm not saying you can't improve the team, but at a certain point, there's a diminishing returns because of the nature of hockey, where a lot of do it is luck just, and variance. Do you just bank on the fact that if they can't move Fleury to create space to do some of these things that we've discussed with the with the defense... They just sit on their hands and don't try and do anything stupid. And they would still have an okay look at a cup because yeah, Mata and Daly should be back by then. Uh, Latang and I mean, if the injury bug hits, well, what are you going to do? Well, it's the same for pretty much every team, though, isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, you can't. Yeah, I get having depth to to cover injuries, but it it all depends on the cost, and costs are pretty high this time of year. 
and it's the futures that you want to try and protect, whether it's a, a future uh, play you've already got in your system or, you know, picks to make the ability of, of, of generating those. That's where it all sort of boils down to. So, you know, it'll be interesting. The flurry stuff is going to drive a lot of what Pittsburgh can and can't do. I still can't believe that Bishop ended up in LA. That's just that's... <laughs> It's so stupid. <laughs> Good for you know, Tampa. I mean, they had to get rid of him. Well, that's the thing. They got... And they got Budai back, which is a nice little um, piece for taking a little bit of the workload off of Vasilevsky. Well, it's one of those things where you could actually, you could legitimately, if you're... Tampa, re-sign Budai for next year for a mill or something like that. And have him do exactly what you just said, take some of the load off Vasilevsky. Because Vasilevsky hasn't had a great year, but, you know, he's still going to be there. The whole Tampa Bay team's just had one of those sort of years, hasn't it? Because Budai made 600 out this year. And he should get somewhat of a raise off of that. Well, you'd think so. But not significant because he's not viewed as an all-the-time starter. No, but, I mean, they've got some big contracts they've got to try and work out. Johnson, Pallant, Druin. You hear Johnson's name brought up in trade talks at times. He can't stay healthy. You you don't, as a general manager, knowing that you're going to push yourself up against the cap, want to fork out six mil by seven years or something like that for Tyler Johnson when you're only going to get him for 60 games of the year or 50 games of the year. It's the Chris Letang argument you can make about Letang as well. And Gino, same thing. He's not on that level, though, so it makes it a little bit more tough. Exactly. It it emphasizes that problem a little bit more in, in that sense that when you do have him, whilst he's great, he's not that great that the the cost against the cap is going to be worth it. Like they are going to have to make some decisions on who they want to keep. Like I'd fork out money for Druin if if I had to choose between the three of them. I'd give it to Druin. And his name is in talks too. I guess everybody's names are in talks this time of year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's tough for a team like Tampa. It's like they've got a good roster on the go here. They've just had an off year. Um, they should sell every asset that they can sell and um, try to San Antonio Spurs it and come up with a good draft pick. Yep. Not that there's a generational talent listed there. but Yeah, but you're you know. getting a good player if you're near the top. Yeah, exactly. So this is from Brian Burns. He covers Tampa. He's a beat writer. Eiserman said his options were to make the deal with L.A. last night or hold on to Bishop for the rest of the season. No other offers out there. So there's your goalie market. <laughs> yeah, there is a one. And he's a rental, which is easier to fit. Because I can't, I can't see how... Because you, you still have Ryan Miller as a UFA as an option. Yaro Halak is in the same boat as Fleury, where he's got term left, but not as much, and he's cheaper, and... Quite frankly, he's no worse than Flurry. I know that for certain. Yeah. So why would anybody? I, that's. 
All right, so does Calgary trust Chad Johnson to take him to the playoffs? Probably not. Maybe that's Pittsburgh's best chance. And do they trust Brian Elliott? And I would suggest the year that both of those two goalies have had, they probably wouldn't. Johnson's been better than Elliott, which, you know, it wasn't what they were looking for. No, and if I was Pittsburgh, I'd say, yeah, we'll take we'll, we'll take Elliott if you take all the Fleury's contract. Yeah, right. I would That would be um, cost-effective, but... Why not Ryan Miller? Why not Halak? Why, why yeah, him? Exactly. No, I I look at it purely from a Penguins' point of view, but there are certainly other options out there. Like you're asking Vancouver to to trade with with Calgary, and for some unknown reason, it seems to be a no-no in the league to, to do interdivisional stuff at times, which baffles the fuck out of me. But you you, you do sit there and and go, there are definitely cheaper and more flexible options than Fleury out there. But, again, name brand. Well, let's hope it pays off for him. I'd like to see him go like away from Pittsburgh and do well. Right, He's been a good soldier. He's had some bad moments. He's had some good moments with the, with the franchise. It would be good to see him go away, play a few more years, and, and be happy with the way his career winds up. This can't be fun for him. No, I, I don't. I don't root against uh, these guys, but you know he got to break it down objectively, and you know the tr- trading him away is the has has been the right move for the last few years, in my opinion. But now they're totally yeah, I didn't forced into up. it. What if there wasn't an expansion draft? Do they keep it? No, they split the any... time. Well, I mean, what would they do there? Yeah, there wouldn't be any talk of this. I think you're right. I, I have a feeling that if there wasn't an expansion draft, that uh, well, if there wasn't a no movement clause on him, they'd just expose him. That, that's the thing. If if he hadn't no, done that, that then... if, if the draft if Las Vegas wasn't a team, because I feel like a lot of yeah. the willingness to move him now is is externally forced by the expansion draft. It is. You're exactly right. If that so, wasn't there, then I don't think there'd be any rush to move him, and they'd they try to go for the platoon of, you know, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, which doesn't help either goalie, um, which would end up probably stunting the development of Murray and, and you know, finally pissing Fleury off. It's and something it's that can't just, be answered, basically. We can just guess. No, that's true. Um, any other uh, trade targets that are interesting to you? I mean, Shattenkirk's obviously a big one. No idea what, what he goes for, where he goes, how much, because the Blues are in a tough spot right now. They thought... Oh, I'm they've traded him three times already, by the way. Yeah, how bizarre is that? The Oilers for Hall. Wow, that would have been an upgrade over what they got. But Shattenkirk so didn't want to that... sign long-term, so it, it went poof. So does that then give you a little bit of context into the fact that they managed to get Larson for Hall? Does that excuse a little bit of the overpayment? No. No. That's a terrible trade. You just keep Hall. I just thought I'd try and get some clarification. I agree with you in that sense, but... Everyone's saying he just wants to go and play in in New York. He wants to go play for the Rangers, basically what I'm hearing. Yeah, I hear similar. So That's fine. And New York should just sit on their hands and wait for free agency. 
Yes, for the most part, yes. But they are also in a very... Um, they're in a win now because Hank's window is now. So it's a yeah, tough I thing to throw away. They have good scoring. They have good forwards, a great goalie. And the defense, what if Shattenkirk got all Girardi's minutes? That's That becomes a lot more dangerous team. Well, they can actually move the puck. I get, I get your point now. So yeah. it's, Rangers are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because what, what's the expectation... You know, what is the expectation of a Shattenkirk trade? What's he going to – what's he going to get back? What's the expected return? Uh, apparently a first-round pick and a top prospect for a rental. Arizona's dealt for him. He said, nah. Tampa Bay's dealt for him. He's like, nah. Like, they had pieces in place. Both teams were like, okay. If there's an extension, we're good. And all three yeah. times, nope. This has yeah, hurt. This has hurt St. Louis. It has. But, but um, you know, they've been jerking him around. I don't. I don't think that people should be on Shattenkirk for not signing extensions. Quite frankly, he should hit the open market. You should milk yeah. that process for everything it's worth. You got to wait till you're like 27, 28 years old in this league to have that opportunity because you're. RFA years are, you're really, you have no leverage at all, and you're not making fair value during those years if you're a good player. We're going for another lockout because the players are going to want to change the structure of all that. There's no way in hell that they're going to just, yeah, let's just resign and move on. Because you're right, players can't get the most out of their career when they're worth it the most. But all the players that are going to be in negotiations with the CBA will be older, not the younger ones. So it's a it's that vicious cycle or circle that. Yep. Who's going to represent the young RFAs? Well, he's hoping that guys like McDavid, Line A, and Matthews actually stand up and say no, fuck you. Because they're going to get their money anyways. I know they will, but you you do have to sit there and, and hope that they look out for the. But who from the old guard's going to say, okay, yeah, you're right. We finally got to UFA. Let's let's give the RFA guys a, a boost. You got two factions of the NHLPA with different interests. It's a tough thing. Oh, exactly. Right. That's a little silly. Uh, Duchesne and Landis Cog stuff, you know, it's one of those things. Let me know when something happens. <laughs> Somebody should try and skip Barry out of there. Are they shopping him? I, I don't hear his name pop up much. No, but that's sort of my point. It's one of those things where if you're a, if you're a team that's pushing, I think Barry is a number three or or you know a, a sidekick to a great number one um, would produce you know really good possession. I think he'd, he'd really help push a team that's got. Attacking forwards, surely somebody can come up with a sideways deal that nobody thought was possible to to, to nab Barry because he's under contract for a bit, and I don't think his term, I don't think his actual AAV is particularly bad. So he hasn't had a good year though. No, I, However, I realize it's that. Difficult but I don't to, it is difficult to analyze players that are on these uh, horrible possession teams. 
He's being asked right now to be their number one defenseman because Eric Johnson's been out all year. And I don't think he's a number one. And they don't have good structure. They don't have good depth. So, no. And he's he's a player that I think would be great as a number two or as a he's number three, a three running at highest, running that, to be honest. Yeah, running that pair. So, you know, he'd be somebody that, you know, obviously Pittsburgh can't fit him into the cap, you know, in the current situation. Um, but, you know... You you can find other teams out there that could certainly handle having some like the Rangers could look at trying to go to someone like him and have him eat Girardi's minutes, like that's an upgrade there for them. But it's like, how do you make that happen if you're New York? Yeah. Who the heck else is out there? There's not, like, I've, I've heard San Jose, I've heard nothing on San Jose in regards to actually touching anything no, on their roster, which is which is great. I, same with Washington. I think that's great that there's been nothing out there that they're going to do anything. I think that's really solid on their behalf. Same with Columbus, to be honest. I've not heard anything about them looking to change what they've got roster-wise. It is, it is interesting that Vancouver have... have you know, there's been a lot of talk about them being sellers without their management actually coming out and saying that. Um, you know, Dallas have started selling, you know, Eves went. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me. Could Hoodley get healthy enough to make him viable to trade? Yeah, he had some illness early in the year that really kept him out of the lineup for a bit. And... Um... He's got six points in his last ten games, and he's only got eight points total all year. So his recent samples is best sample. Yeah. His prior years, he's been a top-line offensive producing forward at even strength. That would be a classic risk-reward. And you're not on the hook for anything after this year either, so it's it's just it's, it's the risk for now, and if it, if it goes well, he'll probably walk and, and play somewhere else like he did the year before. You're correct, two million cap hit. I think Hudler's an interesting one. I do. I wanted the Penguins to sign him stuff? at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Why you can't, can't plan for that illness, it? though. I don't even know what it was, but it 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 had a. Um, had an impact on his year so far. Yeah. No, what? If I was Ottawa, I'd have a crack at him. Just add a little bit of depth. The question is, what's the expectation from Dallas? Probably not a lot. There's not much leverage there based on how the year's gone. No. You, you would be betting on him returning to normal and that the illness is behind him. Yeah. So that that comes with a cost, doesn't it? I certainly like the idea of trading for a guy like him rather than grit or face off specialist or PK specialist. Uh, speaking of that garbage, I don't know why I follow people like this. But you sit there and, and you try to make sure that you don't have an echo chamber in your Twitter feed. So you 
follow people and all you hear, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but he's talking about how Edmonton are the worst face-off team in the league and how they have to trade for somebody that can improve their face-off stats. And after all the numbers that have come out in the last week or so based around face-offs, I think the thing for me isn't the amount of face-offs that you win. It's the amount of face-offs that you win in the last two minutes of a game that get noticed, that make the difference. It's like, you know, Jordan Stall was Pittsburgh's best face-off man the year they won the Cup, and he lost the last draw when Lidstrom took that shot on Fleury. So it's a coin flip. So don't give up assets for a skill that, one, is teachable, and two, even when you're good at it, is a coin flip anyway. So here's the deal. Face-offs are overrated by many, but they are not meaningless. But people place so much value. It's just another puck battle. Puck yeah, battles happen totally all over perfect. the ice. There's no correlation between face-off winning percentage and possession. Face-off winning percentage oh. is a broken stat. I don't like using it. It's garbage. Because what you do off the face-off and how you defend a loss draw, how you set up... Uh, your offense from a one draw. You know, that's taken into consideration when, when you look at face-off winning percentage for the center. I don't like the face-off winning percentage stat at all. I don't, I don't reference it ever. I, I wish broadcast would stop beating us over the head with it. That does not mean face-offs don't have any value. It's just that it's not quite as much value as people place on it. If you were to focus on better possession players that have more of an impact overall, you'd do better than to focus on a face-off specialist. It would be nice if broadcasts actually focused on stats that are a little bit more hidden. So you can see a face-off win, you can see a face-off loss, you can actually see it there. But what's hard to see at times is possession in the way that we know it in regards to Corsi. It would be nice to just have those kinds of numbers easier to see. So instead of having a freaking shot counter like all the Fox Sports coverages have, I think, in regards to shots on goal, it'd be great if it just had the Corsi numbers up there. Yeah, shot so, attempts. And put shot yeah. attempts, not Corsi. Yep. Yep. Just it's more palatable it for the average, average fan to see shot attempts and not Corsi, Corsi, yeah. a lot of people. But you know what I mean. Like it's, it's, you could put Corsi up there, and a lot of people would be like, oh, fuck that Corsi shit. And if you put shot attempts up there, they'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it gives you a really because like, it gives you a really quick look in regards to what's actually going on on the eyes. You can get them and go, wow, they've obviously had lots of cracks at the net. They've obviously had the puck a lot more. It's just it would be little changes like that that would move away from this fascination of a you know pre-organized. Um, puck battle with a, a puck that bounces off the ice and then it's just a wrestle to see who can get the puck um, that's a coin flip so it, it just it's an attitude of, of the league that's going to have to move and it's going to take a while to move and those teams that that value certain things more than others will have a, a competitive advantage until everyone catches up see that kind of stuff face off specialist pk specialist just focus focus on even strength specialists you'll do better well they can fill the role as a penalty killer can't they logic would dictate yes 
So this is our <clears throat> pre-deadline. Trades two days away. There's, it's certainly not going to be dead. I'm in Melbourne the day on, so okay. we might be able to do a podcast because my time zone changes by like three hours or something. So, so you want to do the day of or the day after? We'll find it, but yeah, we'll, um, we should be able to do that. So, I don't know. I kind of feel sorry for the. I feel sorry for the guys that have to do those deadline day shows because teams are not doing it all at the last minute anymore. No, but they also, it, yeah, they're in a tough spot because people love tuning in for that stuff. But there's a, it takes a lot of talent to kill that much time. But it's time that you could use, um, depending on the network and the personnel, that you could, if you're open to advanced statistics and, and can project it to the viewers in a digestible manner, you could do a lot of good work during that and, and, and inform people on a lot of different stuff. Yeah, it would be it would be great. You know, I think you're right. That's a, a great forum to go ahead and do something like that, to be honest. It doesn't have to be over-the-top statsy and... and tough to talk about where it's not interesting, but TSN, Sportsnet, they certainly have a lot of money. They could have some nice, simple, easy-to-look-at uh, graphics with uh, just Bar basic, basic concepts. Of, Bar charts are line graphs. Pretty simple stuff just to give a visual look of, of what's going on and use that for comparisons between players. You don't even have to use the hero charts, which I think are great for a visual look of what's going on. Just keep it yeah, simple. Yeah, pop up a hero chart or something of that nature. Um, obviously, give credit to Dom. Or, I'm sorry, not Dom, Mimico. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think people would take to it. So, I guess that's it. We'll have to wait and yeah, see how things shake out. Guy. We'll see if Fleury's traded. Although that bishop... Uh, Nobody making offers for Bishop other than L.A. That uh, doesn't bode well for the flurry trade. But no. the one thing that if you're following the Penguins, Rutherford is not shy to make a trade. So I wouldn't expect there to be nothing. How big of a trade? No, I don't know, yeah. but there should be something. <laughs> I would put a lot of money on Eric Fair being traded. I hope you're right, because technically then it, for me, in my brain, it would set up for one more trade, which would be using that cap space to grab a, another defenseman. And they could obviously but, go uh, Patrick Kane route with Mata and Daly and long-term injury reserve them until the playoffs. If yeah, it, exactly. If it came to it. So. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to go because it's late and I need to get some sleep. Yes. Cam did everybody a solid by staying up late to do this. So I <laughs> appreciate that. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be back after the trade deadline. Uh, visit patreon.com slash hockey hurts um, to support the podcast monetarily. Hockeyhurts.com. Hockeybuzz.com for my Penguins articles. At Walshy66, at Hockey underscore Hertz, at Gunner Stahl. 
So I think that about covers it. And uh, last but not least, leave us some reviews. I, I see people are actually doing that, and it's and it's very much appreciated. So we'll catch you next time. Gotcha.